Hey guys, Press Gallery host Emma Graney here with another episode of the Press Gallery. Before we get to that though, I would encourage you all to subscribe if you would be so kind. Feel free to leave us a review, we would love that. And do tell anyone you know who is vaguely interested in Alberta or Canadian politics because we'd love to spread the Press Gallery joy even further. As always, if you have any questions, comments or concerns or just want to, you know, reach out, have a bit of a chat, feel free. My email address is egraney at postmedia.com or I'm very easy to find on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. We had technical difficulties, so we're trying this again. This is the walking away from Bill Nye. It was really edition. good. The first time was amazing. It was so good. It was brilliant. That was an award-winning cut. Absolutely was, and we've lost it. We've lost it into the, the computer somewhere. It is Friday, May 4, 2018. We're going to be talking about a few things this week, but first of all, I'm going to introduce people who are sitting around the table with me, also commiserating that we've just lost a brilliant half of our podcast. Claire Clancy, my fellow legislative reporter, how are you? Good. Hi, Emma. How are you? Hi. Not at all stressed. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> Dave Breckenridge, how uh, are you? I've given all that I can. I'm not sure if this, <laughs> this version will live up to expectations. Recreate the magic, bro. <laughs> and Graham Thompson. I'm still as pumped the first time around. <laughs> As I was the first time Graham around. Graham so, can't contain his excitement. Well, we're heading <laughs> off to Red Deer this weekend because the UCP has its founding convention. Which is one of the three topics we're going to be talking about, Re- Graham. Really? Shocking. <laughs> Shocking. It's like you already knew. <laughs> <laughs> So, yes, we are going to be talking about the UCP convention this weekend uh, that Graham and I are going to. Speaking of the UCP, we're also going to talk about them walking out of every vote on Bill 9, which is the bill that create protest-free bubble zones around Alberta abortion clinics. And finally, we will talk briefly about the kerfuffle around the appointment of Alberta's first election commissioner, which also was another thing that happened this week, because it was quite a week. Let's start off... Let's start off talking this time about the UCP convention. I know, I'm switching it up. Oh, no. Keeping it fresh, Graham. So, UCP convention this weekend in beautiful Red Deer, keeping the economy there alive. Mm-hmm. 2,200 people have registered to attend as uh, UCP party members. Uh, a couple of hundred um, people watching as well. What do you call those? Observers. Thank you. It's like a synonym almost for watching, isn't it? And Emma and Graham are going to go off on their road trip down there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, Graham's be. excited that I'm going to be singing the Jason Aldean version of Walking Away um, on our trip down Why to Reddit. Why would you be singing that? Walking away from Bill Nye. Oh, we're on to Bill Nye already. Okay. No, we're not. I'm just saying that I'm going to sing because Graham loves it when I sing on road trips. I look forward to it. Mm. So... <laughs> going to be quite a quite a yeah, time in red hey graham the founding convention of course last year the united parties of the uh, wild rose and pcs got together formed this new party big founding convention we're expecting to see some of their policies of course discussed mm-hmm. uh, and we'll see how that goes i imagine it won't be as exciting as people are thinking it's going to be there won't be a big fight over i think to me social conservative ideas it'd be relatively low-key uh, the big things are going to be, um, we got Brad Wall coming, of course, Jason Kenny Leader is speaking, Andrew Shear is speaking. So it's going to be... Um, this Rona is Ambrose is doing right. a, uh, she's doing a session on the importance of more women in politics. Yes. Mm. And I think this, this convention, even though it's the Alberta UCP, United Conservative Party, this is being watched very carefully by the federal conservatives. A, they were helping Kenny out in his unification fight. 
But they're looking at this saying, you know, looking at this as how can they use this as a springboard on the federal level to bring back the federal conservatives into power. So it's not just about the Alberta conservatives. It's also dealing with the federal conservatives, too. Well, I was going to ask you guys a question. Uh, The draft resolutions that the UCP kind of took heat over this week, obviously, it was 800 draft resolutions. Only 250 will be discussed. Only. (laughs) (laughs) Only, Maybe. Um, When do you guys know what those actual resolutions are going to be, and what do you think you'll see in them? Well, Sunday, tomorrow, Saturday, is going to be them dealing with their constitutional in-house, um, looking at their, their own constitution. Sunday today is set aside for the policy resolutions. We'll know a better idea then. They may start discussing them on Saturday, mm. depending on how fast they go through their own constitution, forming that up. But we'll know by Sunday what they're actually... I can't see them getting to 250 resolutions. Uh, they'll probably bury some. And even um, those that are brought up, I think the best case scenario for the UCP is to bring up some of these socially conservative ideas like maybe defunding abortion and then just killing it, having people overwhelmingly vote against it. Has that made the cut from the 800? I know there was talk yeah, that there were some there other one. contentious issues that didn't make the final 250. People were trying to make hay of what was in the 800. Um, but so the defunding medically necessary yeah, I think procedures that, or that something is, like I believe, that? We'll see today. We'll, we'll, we'll know today. We'll get an actual list today of yeah. the actual 250. One of, one of the more controversial ones, too, was the defining a family unit, mm-hmm. which mm. obviously goes back to debate over gay marriage. I, I don't see that one making the cut. <laughs> I would be interested to <laughs> see. I, yeah. I mean, if look, poli- policy conventions are a weird animal in partisan politics in Canada. Is every party has a fringe that wants to bring forward ideas that the mainstream and the party don't want and the mainstream voters don't want. And sure, there are conservative voters in Alberta who would love to see some of those come to the floor and get debated, but they probably won't. You know, the the UCP has been trying to remind people on social media that, hey, at the last NDP convention, there were resolutions relating to uh, no more pipelines and, and stopping fracking in Alberta. I don't think they debated those because those are not tenable, winnable ideas in Alberta politics. So there's going to be a lot of these things that the NDP has been trying to make big hay of this week that just aren't going to show up on the floor because it would be political suicide for the UCP to entertain some of those discussions. Yeah, I think yeah, either they'll be buried, either they won't make the cut, they won't even be, they make the cut and don't get discussed. They, they, they do get discussed or voted down. But you're right, even if they do make the cut and are voted in favor, that doesn't mean it's party policy. Exactly. And Kenny's making that point. You're right. Yeah. Parties do have their members vote for, for resolutions that the party, if it's actually government, has no intention of ever in, in bringing in as a law. What's interesting, too, is that uh, for the last few months, every time um, there's been kind of a discussion from reporters asking questions of Jason Kenney about socially conservative issues, a lot of the the line answer from a lot of UCPers, including himself, has been, wait until after the policy convention, like we'll be able to have a position after that. So I'm really interested to see kind of when we're asking questions of issues being debated, um, how that changes things for us, and maybe they will actually have a stance on certain things. No, I think they still won't. <laughs> I think even though this weekend they may be voting for certain resolutions, we won't actually see a party platform for an election until later this year and yeah. probably next year. Yeah, we asked uh, Jason Kenney about that this week. When those draft resolutions started getting leaked out in our colleague Don Braid's column, he kind of did a piece on those, and we were asking Jason Kenney about them, and he said, well, I, 
Is there? I haven't seen them all, to be honest with you. I'm keeping my arm's length, letting the committee deal with that. Um, But then he also went to pains to say, look, even if resolutions get passed, um, yeah, they will inform our election platform, but they're not going to be our election platform, right? So we're going to develop that over the next year. They're going to have some subcommittees to talk about specifics to do with the party platforms um, and then kind of put it out there and then figure it out over the next year. Yeah, I think, like, I saw a tweet. Who was it from? Stephen Carter. I think he summed it up best. He said, look, don't judge them yet on what gets discussed at their convention. Judge them on their actions. Their actions this week in the House don't instill a lot of confidence in a lot of people, and I, I think we're going to get to that in a second. Yes, but we are. <laughs> but when you talk about debating policy that's the whole point of democracy and in a party system parties party members will bring forward resolutions from their constituency associations that not everyone in the party is going to agree with and likely a majority of the party will say you're stupid go away i don't know if they'll frame it like that is that is that like how you vote like you're an idiot is that <laughs> yeah, there you go um, like I think, state, idiot <laughs> not, not idiot, idiot. <laughs> I think it's red and green or something okay. like that. Which That's is, not fun. I know, yeah, way yeah, less yeah. exciting. I like I mean, your system better. Yeah, Breck, you should probably be in charge. No of one wants me to be in charge of any political party. <laughs> Um, One of the things that's also happening this weekend, which is kind of vaguely related to something else that happened this week, the LGBT, the LGB Tories, they call themselves, are having a a gathering at Boston Pizza in Red Deer. Um, So it's basically the um, LGBTQ folks who are also members of the UCP or uh, aligned with Tory politics, and they're having a bit of an event. Which, Clancy, relates to something else that happened this week. Yeah, it was a very busy week. This is a kind of an aside, um, but basically the UCP application to march in the Edmonton Pride Parade was uh, rejected. Yeah, yeah. And uh, the other parties had their applications approved, including the NDP and the Alberta Party. Um, you know, the app, you can check out the application online on our website, but the answers to the questions, basically the... Uh, Festival Society said that the answers weren't uh, sufficient enough to show that kind of the UCP party, the UCP is engaged in um, LGBTQ rights. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's created an extra, that's created mm -hmm. a funny little discussion yesterday because that was happening as all this other stuff was happening in the House yesterday. Well, it's just weird. Like, I completely understand based on past voting record, especially at federal level, of Jason Kenney. Um, relating to the debate around gay marriage in this country, why they wouldn't be keen on having the UCP involved. And the GSA issue is also is something that has also tripped them up. On the flip side of it, there's been constant debate is, well, you know, Rob Ford, looking at it broadly in the country, in Toronto, Rob Ford was always criticized for going to his family's cottage during Pride Weekend and never going to the Pride. Like, there was always criticism for conservative politicians who wouldn't go to the Pride events, and now we have a Pride event that a conservative party has said, well, we want to take part, and they're saying, well, no, you you haven't met our standard yet. But again, they're free to do that. I just it, it is a funny bit to the debate is that they're wanted there in the past, but now that they want to come, they, they're not wanted. And they were also rejected from Calgary Pride festival yeah. in uh, in august, august and it was just a month after the party had been founded as well so that's interesting too one of the things uh that will probably come up as we mentioned earlier at the policy convention is this idea of defunding um, medically unnecessary procedures which is often code for abortion which reared its head in the house this week 
Uh, we had the debate around Bill 9, which will create protest-free bubble zones around Alberta abortion clinics. There are actually only two, I think, right now, right? One in Calgary, one in Edmonton? Two that provide 75% of abortions and then other kind of clinics around the province do uh, do procedures, but it's uh, but those are kind of the main clinics that need protection from protesters. Right. Yeah. For now, because they, they want to expand the yes. services yeah. in Alberta. Well, the health that was, minister, the said, health that. minister yeah. said that this week, too, that she wanted to expand abortion services. It was busy so week. much happening. Very busy week. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really busy week. So basically, this didn't come as a huge surprise. The UCP did exactly what it said it was going to do around Bill 9 and abstained from both the debate and from voting at all. But what was interesting, too, was that they were kind of anywhere between four and ten of them in the chamber at any one point yesterday while debate was happening. So we had the first section in the morning, um, which is when independent conservative MLA, Derek Fildebrand, got up and he wanted to propose an amendment. Now, first of all, he wanted to make the bill more broad so that, for example, vegans can't stand outside butcher shops and harass people and you can't be harassed going into a cafe or anything like that. Um, Parliamentary Council turned around and said, Derek, no, you can't do that, mate. It's going to change the whole bill. I'm paraphrasing. They probably didn't call him mate or sound like a bogan I from Queensland like me. Um, but so he's so instead he said, look, what I really want to do, though, is revisit this whole idea of um, how broad that it's too targeted against a specific group right now. And even though I don't like that group, I don't like what they do, I don't like the way that they protest abortion clinics, I don't think that they should do that. It's disgusting. It's wrong. I still think it should be broader than it is. So, hey, Sarah Hoffman, Health Minister, how about you just take it home over the weekend, give it a bit of a rewrite, bring it back on Monday, and we'll vote it again. And then I'll vote for it, and then it'll be passed. Hooray! Why couldn't he just vote for the bill as it is and then propose a private member's bill to do all that other stuff? Just, you know, putting spitball in here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, because he's um, he's probably, he already has his private members bill this session, and that was okay. to try and cut the MLA right. pay by 5%, right, 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 right. which didn't go anywhere this week either. Nor do uh, I think the other one would go anywhere. <laughs> no, absolutely not. So what was, what was interesting, though, was that he got up and, as regular listeners of the podcast will know, or anyone who follows Alberta politics at all will know, Derek Fildebrand was a huge backer of the United Mo- United Conservative movement. He was a big supporter of Jason Kenney. Um, he was so happy when the unity vote passed. Uh, and then all the stuff happened with Airbnb and with his... Um, hit, hit and run driving and shooting a deer. Yeah, and it was really the, the shooting of the deer that kind of... Um, tipped them over the edge there. Not so much that he did that, but that he didn't tell Jason Kenney that he was um, facing court charges over that. So then Kenny turned around and said, you will never run under the UCP banner. No, sir, never again. Um, so Derek Fildebrand got up yesterday and basically just uh, threw shade at the UCP over and over and over. He said it was very disheartening that he was the only conservative voice to even be talking about this and basically just had a giant go at the UCP for shirking their duties as elected officials, just got up and run out the chamber. And not only, I mean, not only were they not there to vote on the bill, but they also, you know, UCP caucus members wouldn't scrum with reporters yesterday on the issue at all. On anything. On anything. And that's crazy because their founding convention started starts today so it starts the next day mm-hmm. and they refuse to talk to anyone about anything and it was just it just shows you that this issue was so um it was i guess an issue they will avoid like the plague yes literally run away from yeah it. and you know i 
I get that the whole their view on the whole thing is that it's a political trap and it's designed to make them look bad to the general public. And I'm sure that that's a big piece of it for the NDP. It is a way to kind of remind voters that the perception that the conservative movement is full of SoCon dinosaurs is uh, alive and well. Um, but I'm frustrated that the op- the official opposition wouldn't debate a bill. And there are there as Fildebrandt, Derek Fildebrandt proved there are meritorious arguments to bring into the debate on the issue that don't evolve one's position on abortion. Um, And they wouldn't do it. And it, I I think there are a lot of people who are frustrated by it. And I think there are a lot of conservatives who are like, just let's just deal with this issue and move on, vote for the bill. It's not that big a deal. Let's move on to more important things. And there, I think there's a lot, there's people in the conservative movement who are frustrated with the, way that the UCP has gone on this. And on that note, there are people also um, pro-life groups who are extremely frustrated and very, very angry at the UCP for taking the position they did because they see this as, for example, Jason Kenney is a noted anti-abortion activist, has been, that's how he started off his his political career really, has always been against abortion. He's a Catholic. It kind of makes sense, you know, morally why he's against it. But um, their point was, Jason, we thought that you were going to stand up for us. We thought that you were going to, like, bring this, you know, bring abortion back into the debate. Kenny has said he wasn't going to do that, but that's what they have sent these letters out saying we're mad. Yeah, but they're too bad. Uh, Kenny is on the right on this issue. No one wants to bring back the abortion debate unless you're anti-abortion. And I think that this is a trap. Um, The NDP... The bill is necessary, absolutely, but the UCP and Kenny see no upside to getting involved in this uh, at all. And, and politically, and, there's not. And you can you can argue as as unethical, as hypocritical, as disingenuous. You can argue you know they're cowards for running away. Absolutely, you're right on all points. But politically, it's probably a, a smart move. It's a disingenuous move. It's a very cynical move. But I think that he's thinking, look, this won't be a big issue in a week or a month from now. If we get involved in a debate. And I'm thinking someone could do a bozo eruption in the debate. The NDP is hoping <laughs> that even if you try and stick to the issues that, uh, that we're, we're talking about here, uh, if you try to avoid the abortion, discussing abortion, it may itself trigger a debate over abortion, and then the NDP is going to go after the UCP on this. So I think that this is something uh, Kenny is very disciplined. He's told his whole caucus, even though it's a free debate. Free <laughs> vote. A free, free vote. vote. <laughs> Definitely air quotes around that. A listeners. free vote. No one's going to vote, period. You will not even go in the room when they're voting on this. Yep. It will blow over and move on to other issues, including our convention and including the economy and the carbon tax, and let's just leave all this behind us. And as the bells went for division in the afternoon's debate, which wrapped up second reading, uh, they all there were 10 new MLAs in the room at the time. Um, they were all male MLAs, fun fact. Um, they all got up as the bells went off and walked out, and the NDP MLAs were calling out, bye, Richard, bye, Rick, bye, <laughs> see you guys later. <laughs> so then as the vote happened and Derek Fildebrand, to the delight of many, called himself leader of the opposition uh, in jest <laughs> when he cast his vote because he was the only conservative in the House. Although Richard Starkey did call him out. Richard Starkey is, of course, a former progressive conservative, still calls himself a progressive conservative, even though the um, party doesn't really exist anymore. And, you know, Starkey was like, well, there is a progressive conservative voice here too, Derek. And, and Derek's like, yes, yes, sorry, you're right, member, there sure is. But as soon as that vote happened, then um, talk turned to another bill and the UCP all just filed back in, took their seats again and off they went. 
it was really it was really quite something to watch. I've never seen anything like that before. And Alberta Party um, MLA Greg Clark was making that point too. He said, "I've never seen debate like this happen." And I mean, I'll, lots of people kind of came out and said it's in quotes shameful for the UCP to yeah. to not have been there at least for the debate. And it was in, uh, my point to the letter earlier about the open letter that the uh, pro-life groups had sent to Jason Kenney was it was just so interesting to see those very, you know, that particular group aligning with hardcore left and NDP supporters about what the uh, UCP was doing on this. Let's switch gears uh, to a interesting little aside that happened Another interesting little aside that happened this week in Alberta politics, there was quite a kerfuffle around the appointment of Alberta's first election commissioner. Now, the election commissioner comes about as a result of changes that the NDP made, uh, and the UCP has always felt that the NDP pushed these changes through and there is some nefarious reason for it. Clancy, fill us in on what happened this week. So a new election commissioner is has been chosen, um, and it's for a $1 million office. The point of the office is to oversee advertising or um, elections rules and uh, violations around marketing and whatnot. Um, and the person chosen for it is Lauren Gibson, who uh, between 2006 and 2009 was the chief electoral officer for Alberta. Um, and at the time, he... Uh, made 180 recommendations to make changes to the electoral system. But what ended up happening is that um, his contract expired and wasn't renewed. It seemed as though it was a sudden termination. Um, he ended up suing the Alberta government uh, over and the Legislative Assembly office over his termination, saying it was a wrongful termination. But he uh, he did lose that lawsuit. He sued for $450,000 in lost pay and benefits. Said, Look, you know, your contract expired. You yeah. weren't actually fired by anybody, which was just true. But um, I was, I'm old enough to remember. Yeah, Graham, <laughs> tells all about this oh, story. 2000, 2009, <laughs> yeah. way back when. Yeah, the, the thing is, it was very clear. Back then, some of the points that Gibson was raising as the chief electoral officer was the fact that when you had an election like 2008, the, the provincial government, the cabinet, the, 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 the PC party, appointed all the returning officers for all the writings. That is insane, Graham. When I read your column, I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> and so this was, hap- so it was, it was done by the highest level of the PC party and, and politics. They would appoint people that the chief ballot counter and every writing was was pointed by the conservatives. So that's that's (laughs) one of many things that uh, Lauren Gibson said has to change. Other jurisdictions, the chief electoral officer is one who does, who appoints all the returning officers. And so he's very critical of that. And he said, we got to change the whole system. And the government was grumbling, did not like this this person, you know, telling him what to do, and that's when his within weeks of this report coming out, he was his contract was no was not renewed. All the it was done by a standing uh, committee of all parties, so all the members of the government voted to turf him basically, not renew his contract. All the opposition members voted to keep him on, so so he was turfed, and he sued as you pointed out. He did not win that. But here he is coming back. And he, there was a little bit of filibustering this week because the UCP. the UCP are asking that his salary be publicly disclosed immediately upon his appointment. It will be disclosed um, according to legislative rules in a year, yeah. I think. Um, but it's interesting. Yeah, basically there was a lot of delay over the appointment. Normally that doesn't happen with uh, positions like this. Yeah, and you get the impression the UCP, I- I'm thinking the UCP, they're looking in terms of they're going to win the next election. Like they're so confident of winning the next election. And they're going to be saddled, if I can call it that, with Lauren Gibson because he's somebody who spoke up 
in favor of democracy against the sitting conservative government. And now if the UCP wins the next election, they're going to have this guy, a real <laughs> thorn in their side. So I, I'm thinking, also you got some of the, the PC members, of course, in those days are, you know, are, are, are sitting in there in, in the House. So I think that we're seeing, I think, um, this sort of sense that the guys who expect to become government don't want someone like a Lauren Gibson uh, sitting there overseeing. And it's, and it's also dealing with this issue of dark money, uh, political action committees. He'll be looking in terms of... Because that's going to be his job. That's what he's tasked with. He's, the big know. issue is dark money and who's actually behind the political action committees and, the and how UC- they're spending And money. the UCP were like flat out against that bill, um, spoke out against it uh, yeah. multiple times. So I think it was also an issue. What's come up in the debate over his appointment was they kept saying, well, we didn't want the role in the first place. And not only that, but now you've chosen someone that we also don't want. That we don't like. And then there was some debate about how much money he was making, as you said earlier, why Albertans won't know about it right now, and there should be more. David Shepard, who is the uh, Edmonton Centre MLA, I think, and he chaired the committee that oversaw the appointment of this bloke. Um, I haven't seen him be so angry in a debate. He was prodding the table with his finger. He was saying, like, this would be... This is... This is a, what was he even saying? He was getting really upset. Yeah, about he. I think in that he, debate. I, I mean, and he told reporters afterwards as well. Just like they've gone through due process, he kind of said, right. "You're targeting an individual because you don't like him, and this would set yeah. a bad precedence for any future yeah. positions." Well, that was what Shepard's argument The UCP was. members kept saying during the committee meeting, um, "This person, uh, Lauren Gibson, has a lot of controversy behind him." Yeah, because <laughs> the Tories <laughs> created the controversy by, in effect, firing him. That became a big story in Alberta. That's the controversy. Yeah. yeah. I had no idea that any of that had happened, Graham. So when I read your column, it really completely blew my mind. It was amazing. I can't, uh, yeah, very shocking uh, election rules <laughs> at that time. <laughs> okay, so let's move on to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we've seen, heard, or listened to lately that we think you, dear listeners, might also enjoy. Start us off, Clancy. Before I get to my good stuff, I want to give Emma Graney a big congratulations because she got an amazing fellowship opportunity, well deserved, and I'm so excited to read her reporting. Thank you. Please tell us about it. I got- <laughs> <laughs> I'm blushing. Um, the Asia Pacific Foundation has given me a fellowship, so I'll be heading to China later on this year to um, report on uh, artificial intelligence and uh, the plans China has and how that ties into Canada's goals and where Canada stands and some of the opportunities for our country and for Alberta as well. Nice. Congratulations. Very congratulations. cool. Thanks, Thanks Congratulations. Guys. You'll be missed, obviously, when you're away. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks, dude. Um, so for my good stuff, I'm going to recommend something. Um, it's a very dark and sad article, but it's... <laughs> you're always <laughs> giving us dark yeah. and sad articles, but okay, that's um, It's in light of World uh, Press Freedom Day, which was yesterday. Um, and I'm going to recommend... It's one. It's an article that's really stayed with me. It was written in 2014, and it's. Um, I often reread it because it's basically about the worst things that a journalist can face working abroad. Um, it's the story of uh, James Foley and what happened to him in... Uh, when he was captured by the Islamic State and then later beheaded. The title of it is called uh, The Horror Before the Beheadings, and it basically is an amazing piece of journalism itself that pieces together his years in captivity um, and what happened, but it's really worth reading. Uh, It's a New York Times piece, and I will provide that link. Thank you. Dave? Uh, I'm going to recommend something else from the New York Times. There's a new podcast series that they're doing called Caliphate, it's you know dovetails nicely with what uh, Claire just uh, mentioned. It's their terrorism reporter, and she spent years reporting on the Islamic State. And it's a series that kind of tries to get uh, us in North America 
to kind of, I guess, other, elsewhere in the world, but it's, it is the New York Times. Uh, it tries to get uh, us, people a sense of what actually goes on uh, for people who are uh, living in the Islamic State. And also, uh, the main focus of the last couple episodes I've listened to is being a Canadian. He's a former ISIS fighter and kind of how he was recruited, how he uh, found out about it, how he became radicalized. Right now, the last episode that I just finished was about the recruitment and training and what he had to do. He was he was acting as a police officer in the Syrian town. It's really fascinating stuff. Wow, that sounds really fascinating. Um, I'm going to recommend a piece from the New York Times magazine. It is called The Baby Formula Crime Ring. It's an insane ring, but basically... <laughs> I know it sounds flippant, but it's actually very interesting. Basically about um, baby formula that some parents get through um, an assistance program in the United States and how they were reselling it for money and also how there were all these thefts happening for baby formula. And it turned in, it was an actual, it was a crime issue that they had to deal with in the United States. It is absolutely fascinating. That and it sounds so weird. I'm it very is very weird. It's very, very <laughs> odd. But um, yeah, there you have it. Um, I'll put the link up, obviously, to all of these. <laughs> Graham, what do you have for us, mate? Yeah, I'm going to go take us back down again, following my uh. colleague's suggestions. Uh, this is an article, actually, it was a column written in Globe and Mail about um, the nine journalists killed this week in Afghanistan and why we should care about it. And a point raised is a lot of the foreign corresponding done now is not done by foreign correspondents. It's done by people actually on the ground who are local journalists because of the technology has changed so much. And, yeah, they, people on the ground who are doing journalism in these really dangerous countries are doing an amazing job. I, I've been I was in Afghanistan with Canadian troops, and I've worked with uh, local um, fixers and journalists um, in Afghanistan, Mexico, Russia, really dangerous places in the world I've been to. Um, and local journalists, they, the work they do is tremendous, plus the dangers they face regularly, daily, is astronomical, and yet they keep plugging away, and there was none of them killed, nine killed, is targeted by ISIS this week. So it's an important concept, you know, journalism uh, in these countries, and, and people I've talked to and I've met over the years really do believe in, in reporting on things and getting information to the public and to the world, and too often they end up uh, paying a very high price. Guys, thank you so much for joining me this week for another episode of the Press Gallery. Clancy, Breckenridge... Graham Thompson and Ian Kusrak, who's here to film some of this and put it online at edmontonjournal.com. Yes, round of applause for Ian. Um, you can find all the past episodes of the Press Gallery at theedmontonjournal.com. You can also subscribe wherever you podcast. would encourage you to do so. Join us again this time next week, won't you, on the Press Gallery. Press Gallery.